and uh, Rod's son, Rick Gertzen, is going to, to teach here in Sunday school, and he will be preaching in the service to follow. Um, Rick and I go back, man, 40, 40 more, 42, 45 years, something like that. And uh, he was just a young guy, and we were both young in uh, Bible college and, together. And uh, then I started dating his sister, and I don't know what he thought of me then. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, later on in life, uh, Rick was the pastor of Grace Bible Church, and uh, I was going through a really hard time in ministry. And uh, he was there and uh, helped me through that uh, with his counsel, and I really appreciated that. We've become good friends and uh, ministry partners, and uh, I was able to serve as an elder in his church at Grace Bible Church for a number of years. And uh, so it's a privilege to have him here. I always enjoy getting together with Rick and hearing him teach and preach. And so um, I don't want to take any more of his time. I'll, I'll open with prayer and then uh, we'll, we'll bring him on, okay? Father, thank you for the day that you've given us and an opportunity to just once again open your word. pray that you would just give us ears to hear it, and I pray that uh, you would receive all glory and praise and honor for what's about to happen here today. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Rick? Well, it's... Uh joy to be here with you guys and see everybody and see some familiar faces and some unfamiliar faces and uh, great to be back. And uh, I tend to uh, find myself in various texts of the Word of God and, and enjoy obviously my time in them and being a person who has the opportunity to share the Word of God each week in the pulpit as well as other places. I find great comfort in knowing what I'm going to do the next week by simply going through books of the Bible, and then whenever you have a chance to do something like this, it's always, one, a, a great break, because you kind of get a break away from what you're doing, and the other time it's a great dilemma, what do I do? And uh, I never know exactly what, how to pick something, so I always ask, what do you want me to do? And when somebody says, whatever you want, that's always like, ooh, I was kind of hoping you'd give me some direction, but anyway, so uh, I chose to do Daniel chapter four this morning. So I'm gonna do it through uh, two processes. Uh, one, obviously, this hour, and the other one next hour, and we'll attend our entire morning in Daniel chapter 4. It's a very familiar story, I'm sure, to you, if you've done Sunday school for any period of time, or, or you've spent some time having the opportunity to read through the Bible. Daniel is a, is a great book, and a book which leads us to understand exactly how God continued to sovereignly direct and guide the nation of Israel, not just in the time of captivity, but equally in the time uh, to come and how God would always have a place. It was a, Daniel's great dilemma where we've been captured, taken away, and what's going to become of Israel? He really, really was concerned about his na nation and what would take place. And so we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 4. I, my goal is to make it through chapter, uh, verse 27 this morning. So if you would, follow along and I'll attempt to read it, okay? Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the people's nations and, every, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It seemed good to me to declare the sign and the wonders which the Most High God has done for me. 
How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it made me fearful that these fantasies, as I lay on my bed, and my, the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And so I gave an order to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviners came in and related to them, I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and who, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy God is in you, and that no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream that I may have seen along with its interpretation. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. As I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong. Its height reached to the sky. It was visible in the end of the whole earth. Its foliage and beautiful and a fruit abundant. And on it was food for all. And beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. And all the living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking at my vision in my mind. And as I lay in my bed, behold, an angelic watcher, holy one, descended from heaven. And he shouted and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip all of its foliages, scatter its fruit, let the beast flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. Yet, leave the stump with its roots in the ground, the band of iron and bronze around it, with the new grass of the field. Let him be drenched in the dew of the heaven. Let him share with the beast the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let the beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones. In order that the living may know and the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation that you are able. The Spirit of the Holy One is in you. And Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled. For a while, as his thoughts alarmed him, the king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your advisor. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, height reached to the sky, it was visible to all the earth, whose foliage was beautiful and fruit abundant and was food for all under it, in which beasts filled, dwelt, and all the branches of the bird sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have become great, 
grown strong and your majesty has become great and reached the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. In that, the king saw the angelic watcher, the holy one, descending from heaven, saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, leave the, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field. Let him be drenched in the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place with all the beasts of the field and be given grass to eat like cattle and drench of the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High will, is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that command to leave the stump with its roots of the tree, your kingdom will, will be assured to you after you recognize that, this, that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sin by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be prolonging of your prosperity. What a text, right? Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray that this morning as we just kind of look through these verses that Man, we'd just be amazed at how you are really in control of every affair of mankind in every way. May it humble us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go out amongst your week and throughout your days, do you have an opportunity to interact with people? And hopefully you're sharing the gospel with people as the Lord brings that to your door and ability to do so. One of the things that's interesting is to find out people's knowledge of God. Some people have some Sunday school knowledge because they are raised in a church. Some people have some cultural knowledge, and some people have really very little knowledge and some ideas that they've gleaned here and there. Question I have in Daniel 4 is what does Daniel or what does Nebuchadnezzar do, or what does Nebuchadnezzar really know about God? Well, by Daniel 4, he knows some things. He already knows some things about God, and that is he. He said, Daniel's already interpreted a dream for, for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's had an interaction with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and some other guy in a furnace, right? We know it to be the pre-incarnate Lord. These three friends, by not bowing before the idol, ended up in the furnace. and He saw the pre-incarnate Lord, if not through the flames, he saw him. He has learned that Jehovah God of the Israelites is one, Lord of nature and history. He's learned that intimately. He has learned that Jehovah God of the Israelites is a miracle worker. He has learned that Jehovah God of the Israelites could override even the will of the most powerful king. He's already learned that to some level. Yet, even though he saw this all very much and very firsthand, it did not convince him or better, it did not humiliate him as the king. Nebuchadnezzar still did not understand his weakness before God, Jehovah, the covenant God of Israel. His utter dependence on God for his power and his very life was something he did not know, understand, or submit to. 
Nebuchadnezzar had not yet learned that he was an instrument in the hands of the only omnipotent God of Israel. Jehovah is the true sovereign of the universe who orders all of human history. Nebuchadnezzar, in his own pride and majesty, missed it. And quite simply, that is the very point of this book. The absolute sovereignty of God and his faithfulness to the chosen people of Israel, not just in history, but today in the contemporary time of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and in the future. Chapter 4 really is divided in two sections. Really, it's kind of the, the dream and the fulfillment. That's exactly how we're going to look at it. This morning, for our first hour, we're going to look at the dream and the prophecy that is to come. And first we have, in verses 1 through 3, an introduction. And really, it's a proclamation in verses 1 through 3. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all the peoples, he's writing this. The men of every language live on the earth. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. This is Nebuchadnezzar. It's a summary introduction. It's a proclamation of Nebuchadnezzar, and it introduces the chapter. Obviously, he's writing after all the events of chapter 4 have taken place. It, it, it comes at the close of Nebuchadnezzar's 43-year rule. So the seven years at least, maybe eight or nine years before his rule is over, maybe ten years before his rule is over. So he has been king for 30 years or so. And his proclamation is spoken by the king Nebuchadnezzar and it shows that he is intellectually convinced of the sovereignty and omniscience of the one true God. And as you read through the chapter, you understand why he is sovereignly convinced of it. In verse 2, it seems good to declare what God has shown to the king. This is written post him coming to his senses, and he says, I need to tell everybody exactly what I learned. The primary sin has been the loss of and the return of the king's san sanity. He had this primary sin. As a result of that primary sin, he lost his sanity, and as a result of the grace of God upon his life, he has his sanity returned to him. Verse 3, verse one, first two words, how great are his signs. Well, when you understand the balance of the entire chapter and what is taking place, you understand why he would write that. I don't know. Last night, I thought the sunset was amazing. Right? And the night before that, it was great too. It's good to be out of Alabama where the hills and the trees don't actually block it. You can actually see it. And I think all the time when I see a great sunset or a good cloud formation or whatever, how great are the signs of God. Do you feel like way? Well, thank goodness most of us didn't have to go through Nebuchadnezzar had to go through. However, I would say to you that we all had to be humbled in some way before we saw it. But Nebuchadnezzar has come to that realization. Even though Nebuchadnezzar has a long and great rule as king, he, admit, he admits finally that he is small by comparison to God. How mighty are his wonders. How his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, not like mine. His dominion, I have dominion, but his is from generation to generation. Sounds a lot like 100, Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Holy Spirit keeps repeating that through various authors, so maybe we might catch it. It's difficult to see King... 
Nebuchadnezzar write these words. Some suggest that Daniel wrote them for him. And it wasn't really King Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel just takes the voice of Nebuchadnezzar. But when one understands these words as a part of his praise resulting from what he has just experienced, it's clear, I believe, to see that King Nebuchadnezzar wrote them. In verse 3, along with verse 37, provide the bookends of chapter 4. Look at verse 37. We'll get there later. Chapter, verse 37 simply says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. So those are the bookends of chapter 4, right? He says, Now it's all done. I want you to know the signs and wonders that I've seen. God's great in all of his majesty. And when he came to his senses in verse 37, he says the same thing. We have this great bookend. And understand it. Now in verse 4, we begin really the next section. After this great prelude, if you will, we begin to see the situation of the dream in verse 4 through 9. A dream. And again, it's a dream. And if we kind of look at the Old Testament, there's two periods of dreams, really. There's the dreams of Joseph and Pharaoh, and there's the dreams of Daniel in, in, uh, in Babylon. Those are the two basic times we have we have dreams. The rest of them, we, we have some other dreams. I'm not saying we don't, but they're a little bit more visionary. But both Egypt and Babylon were big dream cultures. They had that. They had the people who would come in and, and divine and, and, and interpret these dreams. The Pharaoh had his dream interpreters. Nebuchadnezzar had his dream interpreters, the wise men, if you will. And they had their guys who would do that. They were important tools or venues, and God used them with his interpreters, Joseph and Daniel, in those situations. In verse 4 and 5, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, flourishing in my palace. So I gave the order to bring my, into my presence. Uh, sorry, I had a dream. It was fearful to me. And the fantasies of laying in bed, the visions of my dream kept alarming me. Living a good life, really, in verses 4 and 5. Isn't kind of the dream of all of us? Right? It was ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. That's kind of what we live for, isn't it? It's the goal of the American way. You work hard, you accomplish a bunch, toward the end of your life, take it easy, you have a little bit of a nest egg, live in your palace, probably not like Nebuchadnezzar's, but it's yours, right? And, you, and you, you're at ease. And you kind of want to not have to be somewhere at 7 a.m. You don't want to come home with a load of work. You just kind of want to be at ease. That's exactly where he's at. He's been a builder king. He's been a conquering king. He's, he's fought his wars. He's built his buildings. And the rebuilding of Babylon is complete. In a timeline here, if we were to put it in history, the, he has defeated Tyre. and the, the siege at Tyre was long and drawn out. It took a lot of time. He defeats Egypt in the 37th year of his reign. The dream of chapter 4. We know 12 months pass later. He's walking on his rooftop and he proclaims, look at what I've built. And then he's insane for seven years. Here in our text, in verse 4, he has this dream which, which disturbs him. In verse 6, it disturbed him so much that he calls in the wise men of Babylon. Notice in verse 6, Daniel's not here. Daniel, the one who has interpreted dreams, the one who has been promoted by him, the one who has done that. Remember, earlier he tested, he didn't really trust the wise man, so he said, tell me the dream. 
Don't just tell me the interpretation. Now, I don't even trust you guys. You guys are making stuff up. So now you tell me the dream, and you let me know you're a really wise man, to which they all failed, and Daniel, if you will, saved their bacon. Daniel wouldn't say that because he was Jewish, but I'll say it. <laughs> right? So he calls in these wise men, and there's no mention of the content of the dream. He wants them to give them the interpretation. He must have given it to them. And I, I, I kind of wonder why he still had the confidence in these wise men, because <laughs> Daniel kept showing them up over and over again. Here's 30 plus years later, and it's not given that confidence. The time has certainly changed his mind to some level. But they had no interpretation. Again. Again, verse 7, the magicians and the conjurers and the Chaldeans and the diviners came in. I related the dream to them. They could not make an interpretation known to me. They had their divination books. They had their little bones. They had their little things that they put together. and They'd throw them in a pan and they'd do whatever they had to do to kind of figure it out. Smoke whatever they smoked. They sniffed whatever incense they ever sniffed. And they, they couldn't come up with nothing. It was, their little decoding rings couldn't figure it out. Verse 8, finally Daniel. But finally Daniel came in before me. I, I wonder. I don't know. The text doesn't say. I'm a little white spaces here. I, I admit. Did, did he call in them without Daniel and never invite? Or did Daniel just pause? Right, with Daniel like, let them be shown silly and let me just wait here and I'll, I'll come in later. I don't know if Daniel was the, or Nebuchadnezzar got frustrated and said, fine, go get Daniel. I, I don't know exactly how that took place. I, in my own sinful heart, think if I were Daniel, I'd have waited. And I'd be like, okay, don't make fools of yourself. I'll come in and, and we'll do this. But that would be kind of a sinful thing, so it probably didn't happen. <laughs> Kind of reminds me of First Kings chapter 22. I don't know if you guys are familiar with First Kings. You need to read the Kings and Chronicles, guys. There are some really good stories there. First Kings 22, Jehoshaphat refuses to call in the prophet Micaiah. And, and it, the, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man who we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Because he does not prophesy good things concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Job said, let not the king say so. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that prophet. Give me any other prophet but this guy. He doesn't give me good news. I don't know if that was the case with Nebuchadnezzar, but we, I want, give me the prophets I like. Don't give me the prophets that are going to tell me the truth. Huh? You ever been like that? Yeah, I don't, just tell me what I want to hear. Finally, it's interesting, right? He says in verse 8, but finally. It would also explain why Nebuchadnezzar was not angry with the wise men. and would explain why the king Nebuchadnezzar was happy to see Daniel. At the right time, the frustration of the wise men, in comes Daniel. Look at verse 8. But finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, Nebuchadnezzar named Daniel after his God, and in whom spirit, the holy gods, I relate the dream. And look at verse 9. O Belteshazzar, chief of magicians. There's a, there's a sense in which Nebuchadnezzar is glad to see Daniel. Right? He warmly addresses him. 
Interesting use of both the Hebrew and the Chaldean names of Daniel. He Belteshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar continues to call him, and really probably only knew him by Belteshazzar. Yet Daniel continues to call himself Daniel. He acknowledges that Daniel is there, a different spirit, a spirit of the gods. Well, then we begin the substance of the dream in verse 10 through 18. There's a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great and strong. That tree is a common symbol. As Ezekiel chapter 31, it's the cedars in Assyria and Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar watches the tree grow higher and higher. We don't use it so much as kingdom, but we call it the family tree. Right? We, we trace back and we kind of go back to our ancestors and we, however far back you go and you kind of, this is what's become of our family and it's grown strong and this is what's going on and, you know, all that takes place. It's a, it's a, it's a common symbol. The center and the focus is on the tree. The tree has great height, massive, it's trunk, great strength. It became visible from a great distance to the end of the earth. So this tree is so big you can see it to the end of the earth. Everyone on the earth was aware of this great tree. Verse 12. Look at verse 12. It's beautiful and fruitful. Right? Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant. It, and it was food for all. The beast of field made shade under it. Everything you would expect from a great tree. It provides for the lives of those on this earth. It provides peace and rest. Shade. You go there and you, you get away from the, the hot sun and all that's there. It provides a living for the birds. Now there might be, if you will, in the sense of the dream, a bit of hyperbole. Common in kingdoms and in dreams, yet as great as this is, there should be, why should there be anxiety in the dream? At this point, in the dream, we're like, man, big tree and everything's great. Beasts are fine. Birds are at ease. The verse 13, we find, I was looking at the vision. I found my mind, lay on the bed. Behold, an angel watcher, really just a watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. And he shouted and spoke as falling. Okay, here comes, here comes the trouble. The angel cried out, cut down. With a firm voice, he commands the tree to be cut down. And to bring the tree to ruin. Right? Chop it down, strip it off, let the beasts flee, and let the birds get out of the branches. Right? No leaves left, no fruit left, the birds fly away. And the beasts flee because there's nothing good in this tree anymore. But it left nothing more than a stump. You guys cut down a tree in your yard, and you, what do you do? The stump, you get rid of the stump. Right? You don't want to mow around it. The stump's kind of ugly there. And maybe if you don't want to get rid of it, you put a potted plant on it for some other reason to hide the stump. You, you do something, the stump is worthless, right? The stump is nothing compared to what it was. A stump is maybe a, a monument to what used to be there. But we all know stumps still have life. We've all cut down a stump or chopped down even a little sapling, and what happens? 
Stinking suckers come up, don't they? They come up off the bottom of that thing and you gotta, you gotta deal with those because there's still life there. Well, this stuff receives a band of iron and bronze. Verse 15, leave the stump, put a band of iron and bronze around it and the new grass of the field, let it be dead, drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts. So we have a stump, band of bronze and brass that we're going to find out later that bond of band of iron and brass is given there to protect that stump, protect the potential light that is still there. Verse 15, at the end, we now have the wet with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts. Him here over and again is Nebuchadnezzar. Notice what it says. Verse 15, let him be drenched, let him share with the beast, let his mind be changed. And we find it him over and over again. The beast mind is Nebuchadnezzar. Right? Him, him, his. We're not talking about a, a tree anymore. We're talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to have a beast mind in how long? Verse 16. Seven periods of time pass over him. Now, seven periods of time is big. And we'll be later in the book of Daniel. Right? At 69 weeks, 70 weeks of seven periods of time, seven years. And we have this idea of year weeks, if you will, later. Verse 17, this sentence is the decree of the angelic watcher and the decision is a command of the Holy One in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, bestows it on who he wishes and sets over the lowliest of men. Verse 17, this decree of the messenger that the Most High ruler God he is the one who superintends. He is the one who decides, elects, appoints the rulers of men. Nebuchadnezzar, you've had a good 40-year run and more than that in the end. All because of the good and gracious hand of God. He decided to put you there. He decided to make you great. He decided to build the tree. He decided to cut it down. It's all up to him. It's just really reminds us of James chapter 4, verse 6. He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it is, says, God is opposed to the proud that gives grace to the humble. If I was in charge of wall sayings in homes, like, you know, the cross-stitch stuff and the little fancy whatever that you put up there, I'd put that verse up. Rather than, you know, lolly, 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 be good and gracious, right? I, I would put... God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the Why? Because that's what I need to be reminded of. I, I don't need God bless. Yes, he does, and I'm grateful for it, but he does when I'm humble. And so i got to remind myself to be humble. I need things to help me not do this, not just have warm feelings, because all the warm feelings come only after I'm sufficiently humbled. Verse 18, Nebuchadnezzar said, this is the dream. Now, this is a pretty specific detailed dream. I don't know about you guys. When I do dream and I do wake up, I don't remember my dreams to this detailed. But then again, I don't have dreams given to me by the Most High God. So maybe if I did, I'd have more detail than that dream. My personal dream abilities, I don't remember much details, and they're so stupid, why would I remember them in the first place, right? This is obviously... A dream given by God with great detail and it has been impressed upon this man Nebuchadnezzar's mind. 
And he had the ability not to forget any of it. Well, now we find the significance of that dream in verse 19 through 27. The dream is recited. Daniel has stood before the king and he's listened to this dream. And then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for while he was thoughts alarmed him. Because we know the story well, we understand and we've looked at the dream. We already know the interpretation is so famous. It's actually a prophecy that is fulfilled. Daniel stands before the king and the king tells him the dream, which is the fact that he would become a raving madman. <laughs> and Daniel stands before the greatest man on the earth and he is appalled and he is dumbfounded. To some level, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar have had a working relationship for many years now. They are familiar with one another to, to some level, trust one another. And now Daniel has to tell this man, who I'm sure he just stood in the room and watched him execute that guy, get rid of this guy, <laughs> you know, right and left. And Daniel, can, can you imagine it? Nebuchadnezzar stopped talking, he stayed, and Daniel's got this perplexed look on his life. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, tell me, and Daniel really doesn't want to say, he's kind of appalled. It's nice to know that Daniel also was waiting for the courage and the interpretation that without God he was equally dumbfounded, that the only reason Daniel knows the interpretation of his dream is that uh, God would give it to him. He speaks wishing that the dream had applied to his enemies and not to him. Now he says, so, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you. I wish this wasn't you. Now Nebuchadnezzar knows he was anxious for a reason. He understood the beginning words of Daniel are not good. I think Daniel had a feeling, or Nebuchadnezzar had that feeling because he woke up that morning after that dream not liking and perplexed and troubled. So now we know that it was not perplexed as much as it was for Daniel. He was just fearful. Uh, for, it was a fear and a sadness. I wish it was for somebody else. But I need to tell you this. The tree is the king. Verse 22. The tree, well, verse 21, 20 actually. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew, the height reached the sky, those were the all, those were the earth, the foliage, the beautiful, the abundance. Branches, verse 22, it is you. You're the tree. Well, on the one hand, great, a big, strong tree and a fruitful, abundant, but we all know, and Nebuchadnezzar realizes that the main story is the tree gets cut down. That tree is you. <laughs> kind of reminds you of 2 Samuel 12. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Right? He comes in, he gives him this great story, and David, the Nathan says, no, you're that man. You're the man. The watchers are there, and the watcher says, destroy it. Replaces a long, scatters this long kingdom. It scatters the kingdom. It shakes the kingdom. And earlier in the dream, we, we see that take place. There's a decree from the Most High. This is to be clear that the watchers 
These angelic watchers actually spoke the words of the Most High God. Verse 23, the angelic watcher, the Holy One descending, says chop it down. But he's actually saying the very words of the Most High God. Verse 25, that you will be driven away from mankind. That your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat. Driven away from men. You're going to be cut down and you're going to be a scourge. They don't know what to do with you. You're going to be a raving madman. They're going to put you in a pen. They're going to feed you grass. This tree, the king, is cut down and destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar will be driven away from the dwelling of the king. He's not fit for the palace. The things that go on in the palace, not just where the king lives, but really the capital. All the kingdom's business happens. They just can't have him in there. They can't have some guy in the back bedroom moaning and growling and carrying on. They can't have that going on in the palace. He has to be driven away. He has to, he's out and he has a barn. I'm assuming it was more than a lean-to. He's the king, right? So we had a some sort of a barn that he was in. Probably hidden. So people wouldn't know it. With a beast, the second phrase there is direct to make it clear that it's real. Verse 25, driven away from mankind. Be like the beast of the field and you will be given grass like cattle and drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass over until you recognize he's going to eat grass. I think salad's bad. We're talking grass, right? He's going to be under the, under the heaven. He's going to be out in the open. Dew's going to follow him. Seven periods of time. Seven years. But we also have the purpose. The purpose is that you will recognize the most high. Seven periods of time pass over you until you recognize the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind. Seven years. Yeah, we'll talk about it next hour. But seven years is the time that it will take. Nebuchadnezzar could not in his own wisdom in seven months go, you know what, I had enough of this. Okay, uncle, you're the most high. No, it, it, is a, it is a sovereign, determined period of time and Nebuchadnezzar cannot come to his senses before God says you can. He is in control of when Nebuchadnezzar will repent. He's in control of that. This judgment will last seven years and there's no way it'll be under seven years because God has decreed it so in the dream through the prophet. Not one day he will not repent. One day early, God is in control of this. And this is a judgment. Somebody's like, wow, it just took Nebuchadnezzar a long time. No, the judgment had to be complete. Then, then he would come. However, the good news is, the stump is protected. There's a band of iron around that, and there's bronze. When he has his mind restored, he will still have a kingdom. To have his mind restored without a kingdom would have been a hollow victory. 
in spite of his pride, Nebuchadnezzar would know the graciousness of God. Wow, this is quite a dream, right? In every way, in every means possible, this is quite a dream. Now look at verse 27. Daniel, in his respect, trust, affection, maybe. I don't know what you, how you want to... He says, therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Here we have Daniel, who was appalled by the dream, did not like the dream, wished it applied to somebody beside Nebuchadnezzar, and however interprets the dreams, even though it was difficult, at the end of the interpretation, as much as he says, I wish this wasn't for you at the beginning of the interpretation, he now says, listen to me, Nebuchadnezzar. And may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sin. Break away. Stop. Do righteousness. Show mercy to the poor. In case this doesn't happen or it might be prolonged. He gives a warning. Don't do this. Listen to this dream. Humble yourself. Don't be walking around your veranda anymore thinking all these high and mighty. Do it and show the fruit of your changed mind. The story is told in 1969. In past Christian Mississippi, a group of people were preparing to have a hurricane party. Hurricane was coming, the face of a storm named Camille. They were ignorant of the dangers. They were overconfident. And they let their egos and pride influence their decision. We don't know exactly why they did it. Maybe they were just drunk. What we do know is that the wind was howling outside of posh Richelieu apartments. When the chief police, Jerry Peralta, pulled up sometime after dark, the apartments were facing the beach less than 250 feet away from the surf. They're in direct line of danger. The eye wall was heading toward them. As he pulled up to the apartments, a man with a drink in his hand came out on the second floor balcony and waved. Peralta yelled up, hey, y'all need to clear out of here as quickly as you can. The storm's getting worse. A couple other people walked out and ran with them, and they just laughed at Peralta's order to leave. This is my land. If you want me off it, you'll have to arrest me. The police chief did not arrest anyone that day. He was, wasn't able to persuade them to leave either. So he went around to each person and wrote down their next of kin. About 20 people or so there, he just went around, and they laughed at him, and they gave him the next kin. They thought he was being silly. And they had been warned. They had no intention of leaving. About 10, 15 p.m. when that front wall storm hit the shore. Scientists say they clocked the winds at 205 miles an hour, strongest storm on record to that date. Raindrops hit with a force of bullets. The waves off the Gulf Coast crusted between 22 and 28 feet high. Ever been to the Gulf Coast there? The beach is about a foot and a half off the ocean. <laughs> News reports later showed the worst damage came in the little settlement of motels and go-go bars and gambling houses known as Past Christiane, Mississippi. Some 20 people were killed in a hurricane party in the Richelieu apartments. Nothing was left of that three-story structure but the foundation, one survivor, a five-year-old boy found clinging to a mattress the following day. 
Daniel warned Nebuchadnezzar. His life, his kingdom will be cut down if he continues in his self-centered, prideful way. The only hope was conversion. He needed to show change, do righteousness, and give mercy to the poor. Daniel's pleading with Nebuchadnezzar to re-examine your view of the true sovereign God. Show humble sensitivity to the poor. Think of your own life. Are you self-centered? Yeah, you are. So am I. Work, I, work, I work on that all the time. People ask, hey, can you come help me do this? Eh, you know, I got some things I want to do. I don't think I can go help you. I got an honor preferring one another. Is that you? Well, I honor people now and then more than me. I don't know. That might be a little harder. To, I ain't got time for you because I got other stuff I'm doing. What if I got time, I'll get to you. That's not really an honor preferring one another. That's honor preferring me. I'm, yeah, okay, self-centered. Am I self-serving? Not as bad as you, but yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Not, right? Where we all have that. Are the poor ignored? Do you ignore the poor? Yeah, so this morning I'm kind of going over this a little bit. And I'm reminded that last night after the game, I sit in my car waiting for everybody else to show up. And a guy knocked on my window and asked me to take him a ride to the hotel. Well, I failed there. Right? He was a little drunk and stuff, but kind of failed on that one. Just last night. In fact, what do you think of a homeless situation in the big cities of the United States? Yeah. We sometimes pleat them more like a plague than we do people. They have to clean up those streets. I don't know what the reason they're out there, and I, I realize that there's all kinds of societal things and issues that are part of that, and there's some big issues there, but sometimes our attitude towards that is these people are just plagues, and they need to clean them off the streets. Just Ouch, right? Maybe that, maybe that warning might be a little bit for us. Our, our tree may not be able to see seen through the ends of the world, but, you know, we might call ourselves the crab apple trees. Maybe our fruit really isn't so fit for people to consume. <laughs> and maybe we just need to humble ourselves and not be so self-centered and not ignore people in need. God graciously gives Nebuchadnezzar not only the dream, but a warning. A warning, quite simply, he cannot heed until he lifts up his eyes off himself and the Most High God anyway. There's a story I love. Used in the U.S. Naval Institute proceedings. The story is illustrated by Frank Koch. 
two battleships were out assigned, they were training squadrons, and they were out on sea maneuvers, and as they were out on sea maneuvers, they were in heavy weather for several days, and Frank Koch says he was serving on the lead battleship and was on watch at the bridge. Night fell, and visibility was poor, and Apache fog, and they were all keeping an eye on situations and activities, and shortly after dark, a lookout in the ship reported there's light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain replied, is it steady or is it moving? Lookout said, no, that, that, that light is steady, Captain, which meant that they were on a, a collision course. It wasn't going from one side to the other. It was steady. The captain said, signal the ship, say we're on a collision course, and tell them to change their course by 20 degrees. They signal it, and the signal came back. It's advisable for you to change your course by 20 degrees. And the captain says, send the signal, no, no, I, I'm a captain. You need to change your course by 20 degrees. And the signal came back, I, I'm seaman second class. You need to change your class, your, your course by 20 degrees. The captain was ticked. Seaman second class telling me to change my course. So he says, tell them I am a battleship and you better change your course. To which the signal came back, I am a lighthouse, you better change your course. <laughs> he says, we changed our course. As great as Nebuchadnezzar is and all that he is, he's up against the lighthouse. You know, you and I, in our own little selfishness, our own little consumed lives, you know what, you just need to change your course. Now, I, you're not going to have a dream tonight. If you do, there's nobody here that can interpret it. They're not going to have one. But you have the Word of God. The Word of God is so clear. And there's not a person in this room that doesn't have something in their heart, their mind, their ego, their satisfaction that they don't need to change course in and recognize that, man, I am here to serve the great God of heaven, the Most High. Be warned. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time. This last few moments, we ask that even as we come back next hour and recognize what takes place, that we understand the grace and mercy of God and all that takes place. Man, we, may, may, we, may we do a work on our heart. Just the simple things of pursuing righteousness and, and the great sign of caring for those who are in need, may that be the song and the reality of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.